The Children Trap The Biblical Blueprint for Education This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit garynorth.com forward slash freebooks to download this book. Chapter 10 What the Church Can Do Quote, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, is worse than an unbeliever. End quote. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. The church should begin to examine members who are sending their children into public schools. Pressure should be placed on them by the elders. This would include discussions, loaning them a copy of this book or the books of R.J. Rushdoony on education and similar materials. If a church has a two-tiered membership structure, which acknowledges the difference between communicant members, such as children, and voting members, then it should limit voting members to those who refuse to send their dependent children to public schools. Clearly, no elder or deacon in such a church should send his children into the public schools. It would set a very poor example. The elders should begin to search out local Christian schools and examine their curriculum materials. The church can recommend schools to members. This is a legitimate service of the church. The church is the protector of families. It is simply providing specialised information that members may not possess. The pastor should have far more experience in evaluating Christian education than the average member. If not, it is time to find a new pastor. But what if the local Christian schools are inferior? What is the church's role as protector of families? Is it time for the church to start a school? After all, you can't beat something nothing. It does no good to criticise the humanist public schools if there is no Christian alternative. Even better, encourage someone in the local community to start a school, stand behind him, give him advice, get church members behind the project. The church should serve as a motivator. Fear is a major problem. People do not know where to begin. Fear is where. Starting a Christian school I have written a comprehensive manual on this subject. It has 20 chapters on every aspect of starting a Christian school. There are chapters on organisation, finance, buildings, transportation, curriculum, report cards, advertising, scheduling, scheduling classes, accounting, taxes, not a problem with church schools, features, etc. All the basic information is there. We have a starter kit available for those who want to start a Christian school. We have been in the business for 25 years. We run our school as a private, profit-making business. Whether a school is considered a business or not, at least it should be run in a business-like manner. There are several organisations that provide help in starting schools. There are books, tapes, seminars and conferences that deal with every aspect of Christian schools. You don't need a big organisation to start a school. You might find the job simpler if you just do it yourself. You don't need a board of directors unless you incorporate and start a school as a sole proprietor. Another possibility is to join with another person and have a partnership. Schools lend themselves very well to family partnerships. Another way to organise is to incorporate and set up a profit-making corporation or a tax-exempt non-profit corporation. See your lawyer or accountant for details. 
we don't need a lot of people to incorporate. The church-run school is common. I recommend that the school be kept separate from the church. Money. You don't need a lot of money to start a school. We didn't have $150 a month for rent when we started in the early 1960s. Three families paid tuition six months in advance to provide rent money. When the realtor asked for an additional $150 for a security deposit, I convinced him to let us pay in two monthly instalments. We rented an old house, lived upstairs and had classes downstairs. We started with 32 students and went to 40 the first year. My wife and I taught kindergarten through 8th grade in a two-room school. We doubled our enrolment the second year and added two teachers. We doubled again the third year, renting another house. We bought land, built four classrooms and expanded again. The next year we bought more land and built ten classrooms. We made a profit the very first year. We kept the overhead low, worked our heads off and provided quality education. By the way, we had five children of our own when we started, ranging in age from five down to ten days. We subsequently added three more. We had the motivation to run a good school. We were told by a minister that, quote, it couldn't be done, end quote. My wife said we were going to do it anyway. If you need money, form a partnership with someone who has money. He invests money, and you invest your time and talent. Both of you should benefit. Do a good job, and the marketplace will provide the money to fund expansion. But, as in any partnership, always include a buyout clause. A dissatisfied partner should have the right to buy the school. The contract should allow one partner to make an offer, with, say, 60 days for the other partner to match it. If he does, then he becomes the owner. This keeps the offers honest. Building Rent an existing building. Rent space at your church or from another church. We wanted to start a branch in an adjoining county. We spotted a church with a gravel parking lot. We figured they could use some extra funds. We were glad to rent to us. We were a mainline Protestant church not particularly interested in the Christian school movement, but they liked us as tenants. We paid them so much per student per month. We also paid for any additional utility costs. It was a good deal. It was a good deal for them and us. We sold our original campus property in 1984 because the Saudi Arabian embassy made us an offer we couldn't refuse. Now we are renting space in two churches while we are waiting to build our new campus. And... Just to remind you, as a sole proprietorship, my family kept the capitalised value of the land and buildings, not a non-profit school board. Incentives work. Money talks. Loud and clear. The non-profit mentality is what gets people to believe other non-profit people when they warn, it can't be done. Let me give you an example of capitalization. If you make a profit of $100 per student per year, After deducting all expenses, including your salary as a manager, and you have 250 students, you've made $250,000 profit. Now, if long-term interest rates are 10%, what would it cost to earn $25,000? Divide $25,000 by 0.10, you get a figure of $255,000. If a buyer with this kind of capital to invest considers the prospects of your school to be good, that he expects to keep making $25,000 a year, and he also expects long-term interest rates 
to remain at 10% or less, he will be willing to pay you close to $250,000 for the whole operation. Capitalization is a most pleasant phenomenon to those who can turn a profit. It encourages people to do things that, quote, can't be done, unquote. Another possibility is to rent or purchase a public school building. We helped to start a school in Washington, D.C. The school was sponsored by a church and used the church facilities at first. Some members of the congregation opposed the school. Government authorities were uncooperative, too. The pastor and his family decided to start a private Christian school. They are buying a public school building two blocks outside the District of Columbia. They got a bargain. I like to see surplus government school buildings put to such good use. God told the Israelites that they would inherit wells which they had not dug. The schools being built by the government can and should be privatised. The meek shall inherit these buildings and turn them into centres of Christian learning. Get yourself a financial partner if possible. He can put up the money for a building and lease it to you. He gets tax benefits, a monetary return on his investment, and the satisfaction of seeing the kingdom of God advanced. You get a modern, efficient building in which to run a school. I'll explain in my manual how to build so that the school will be profitable. I'll give you a hint. Don't build with small classrooms. Teachers Hiring the right teachers is really important. You may have an excellent curriculum, a handsome building, and plenty of students, but if you don't have a good staff, you're not going to get the job done. Let's start with the director of the school. The title may be principal, headmaster, director, or whatever. The person who manages the school is the key employee. You may be that person, or you may select someone else. The director of the school should be committed to the Christian school philosophy. He should be able to organise and be an effective executive. The most important duty of the director is to hire competent staff. The director does not need to have a degree in school administration. If the school is controlled by a board, the most important decision they will make is hiring the director. The director should be competent and should be adequately paid. A skillful manager will earn his salary by running the school in a professional and business-like manner. There's a rule known as the 80-20 rule. It says that 80% of your orders in a business will come from 20% of your customers. Also, 80% of your profits will come from 20% of your products. It is my experience that 80% of your problems in a school will stem from 20% of your students and 80% of your problems with teachers will come from 20% of the teachers. A lesson to be learned is to make the correct decisions in hiring. In past years, we have had a teacher surplus. Now a teacher shortage is developing. But never forget, the word shortage should never be used without keeping this qualifier in the back of your mind. At some price. I have always found that there are plenty of teachers around. Teachers often prefer a Christian school because working conditions are so much better. The pay may not match the public school, but there are other considerations. Semi-retired or retired persons may be good prospects for teaching in a Christian school. The teachers don't all have to be full-time employees. Many mothers are qualified and willing to teach or assist with the school, but are able to work only half a day. 
Labour costs constitute the largest item in the school budget. Over the years, we've tried to keep such costs at 45-50% to 50% of the total budget. Most schools probably find a larger percentage going for staff salaries. I learned many years ago that high salaries for employees, low costs to the consumers and high efforts to the owners go together. This is true in a free market situation. I have found that a Christian school can operate this way. We have been able to pay high salaries, especially by private school standards, while keeping our tuition fees modest. At the same time, we have realised a good profit. Too many Christian schools pay teachers less than they should. Teachers should not be expected to subsidise the school. It is the responsibility of the parents to pay the costs of educating their children. Many retired Roman Catholic nuns are on government welfare now because they worked for extremely low wages as teachers in parochial schools and adequate provision for their retirement was not made. This is a shame to the church. A prevalent attitude among many Christian schools is that teachers will be, quote, more dedicated, unquote, if they are paid less. I disagree with this policy. Teachers should be paid according to the market. Unfortunately, the presence of government in education means that we do not have a completely free market. If we had a truly free market in an education, Christian school teachers would be paid considerably more, but they would have to perform far more efficiently. How can we pay our Christian school teachers higher salaries in the present situation? The answer lies in becoming more productive. It is fashionable in public school circles to blame declining educational standards and poor discipline on large classes. The educational establishment has lobbied for more money to provide smaller pupil-teacher ratios. The fact is that pupil-teacher ratios have been getting smaller in this country while standards are declining. A prestigious report out of Harvard University several years ago concluded that students in larger classes do just as well, if not better, than those in small classes. Many Christian schools have the same erroneous notion about pupil-teacher ratios. Some even boast about the small classes they have. Such schools will have to do one of two things. Either their tuition will be quite high, or they will pay very low salaries. If the salaries are high and the tuition is low, the money will have to come from contributions. It is greater productivity that has lowered cost and improved living standards in our economy. More efficient ways need to be developed to teach children. Lowering the pupil-teacher ratio is going in the opposite direction of greater efficiency and productivity. Transportation My advice to someone starting a school is to avoid transporting the students, if possible. I have a chapter in my manual on starting schools that deals solely with transportation matters. Transportation is expensive and occupies much of the attention and time of an administrator. Curriculum Detailed curriculum is beyond the scope of this book. I have 38 pages in my manual on curriculum. There are plenty of books and materials available from different organisations that are active in developing Christian schools. I would stick to the basics in starting a new school. Teach the subjects that every student needs. Don't spread yourself too thin. Some additional thoughts. Don't start your school with any more grades than you need. Your goal is to provide schooling for your own children. They are in the lower elementary grades 
then start with those grades. If there is demand from other Christians to add grades, then add them. As to setting tuition fees, I advise that you follow the guidance of the market. You will not go wrong if you follow the market. If people will pay more, then charge more. They can't pay what you are charging, then lower the tuition. Pricing is very important. Some areas of the country can support higher tuition. This is generally offset by higher land and building costs as well as higher labour costs. It all tends to even out. I believe that Christian schools can be started anywhere. We must be flexible. We need to adapt to the community and situation in which we are located. I know a lady who runs a very successful Christian school way out in the country. She doesn't have a college degree. It would appear that she could not run a school and that there isn't much of a market there. Stay away from a lot of extracurricular activities. These are expensive and drain a lot of time and energy. Public schools seem to be educating, quote, the whole child, unquote. They think it is their responsibility not only to educate, but to take care of social relationships, recreation, etc. They're even providing breakfast in some schools. Such activities further undermine the family. There are always families who will be happy to have you bear the burden of rearing their children. Don't get sidetracked. Summary The church is the protector of its families. This means that the church must see to it that every family is encouraged and pressured to get their children out of public schools and into Christian schools, including homeschools. The church should start a Christian school as a last resort. It should cooperate with independent Christian schools locally. It should even be willing to help a congregation member start a Christian school. The church must protect. If it needs to set up scholarship funds for students, then that is legitimate. But the closer the school is to full parent control, the less likely the lines of responsibility and authority will be blurred. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.